Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And all I could hear was this, bang. And every door that was somewhere in front of was Bang. <laughs> And it was getting louder. It was like something out of Jurassic Park. It was just like, bang, bang. And I'm thinking, who is it? Frank McAvenny comes <laughs> through the door. Absolutely blotto. Sam Michael here, and welcome to another episode of Comedians Talking About Football, the most self-explanatory podcast out there, where each episode, a comedian talks about the lows, the highs, the overpriced pies, and everything else that comes with supporting a football club. Today's guest is Trevor Bickles. I'm thrilled to have him on, not just because he's a fantastic comedian, not just because he's our first West Ham fan to come on. I know a lot of West Ham fans have been asking for a Hammers episode, uh, but because he's a fan of the podcast as well. He's always uh, very supportive of it ever since the start. He's uh, always leaving me messages saying how much he enjoyed episodes and stuff and there's nothing I love more than when comedians tell me they actually listen to the podcast so it's fantastic to have him on so do you know what I'm not gonna chat away because uh, if you know Trevor you know he does the chatting around here and of course he's a cabbie as well so it's what he's born to do so I'm gonna shut up and get straight on with the episode this is Trevor Bickles talking about West Ham United At the end of the day, football—it's a funny old game. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. How are you doing? Hot, sweaty, but good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. We've decided to do this on the hottest day of the year. Yeah. As well. But um, I'm great, mate. I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, all right, mate. All right. I mean, uh, as we said, this is uh, this will be going out once the season is all kicked off, but we are recording on, I'm sure many of you remember, the hottest day probably in the history of, of, of England, actually. I think it's something like that. <laughs> I've seen Satan walk past down yeah. the street earlier. <laughs> 
But yeah, well, we're here, we're here today to talk about your, your sort of family roots in a way, because we're talking about West Ham. Great to have you on at last. We've had a few people asking us when we're going to get a uh, a West Ham fan on. I think we've had two Tottenham fans on. So it's about time. Two? That, yeah. <laughs> two, well, two Tottenham. You've, had the, you've had the only two Tottenham fans. Yeah. That's it. You've had them. Yeah, I've had them. No Millwall yet, though. So uh, I don't I don't know any uh, comedian Millwall fans, I don't think. But uh, I know one. I know do one. you? Lenny oh. Sherman. Oh, of course, Lenny Sherman. I'll have to get him on at some point. I'll have to get him on at Lenny's some point. Lenny's Millwall, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, what I'll do is then we'll start off as we do every episode. Uh, it's with a quick quick fire round where I just hit you with some questions. Some of these questions I give to, I give to um, everybody who comes on the podcast. Some of them are directed especially for yourself um so let's start with uh, the simple one we ask everyone um might have a mixed actually you've sort of given it away already but i think you will be able to give i think you'll be able to say yes to this answer which is west ham your team are they your local team currently no but growing up yes i think that's allowed i mean you grew you grew up near them that's that's got that's allowed oh put it this way from my kitchen window you know i always tell you sort of people from my kitchen window you could see the old South stand, the Bobby Moore stand. You could see it through my window. And I literally, if you come out my right door, you turn left, end of the street, there was the ground. That's how close I was when I grew up to it. So I think I'm, I, that's close enough. You know what I mean? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Local. Uh, next question. As I said, ask everybody this, surely. Who won the World Cup in 1966? Oh, West Ham. <laughs> West Ham. That's an obvious question. Hurst, Moore and Peters, we won the World Cup. <laughs> I love it. Um, and who, who do you consider these days your 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 biggest rival in football? I know West Ham and Millwall, it's got a bit of a history, but I'd be interested to know in the modern day with the success that West Ham have had previously, who would you say is your number one rival at the moment? Tottenham. I think if you ask any West Ham fan, I'd, I'd say obviously, yeah, Millwall's Millwall. If we play Millwall, it's always them. But currently, I'd say it pretty goes... It probably goes Tottenham's our number one rival, hmm. then Chelsea, then Arsenal. I I would say is in, in London clubs easily Tottenham. For some reason, there is this absolute hatred of Tottenham from West Ham hmm. fans. I think it's because I think obviously geographically we're not a million miles apart. Um, I think there's this kind of West Ham have this kind of thought of a Tottenham fans have got a bit of a delusional delusions of grandeur about themselves that they're a, they're a massive club. Um, yeah, and I think obviously. Being the London clubs geographically and logistically in the league, definitely Spurs. Yeah. And do you know the best thing about that is I guarantee that you saying that Tottenham are your number one rivals will anyway piss off Millwall. It's, it's win-win, really. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's a bit it's a bit like when you know, like how Scotland, like in football, Scotland hate the English, but England yeah. don't really give a shit. They sort of go, Oh no, good luck in the World Cup. Good luck. I hope you I hope you qualify. And they get really annoyed by that. We go, oh, we're more we're worried about Germany. And that really annoys them. So I really like that kind of thing. It's win-win. Oh, yeah, totally. Millwall would hate that. Millwall, but if you go, who you are at Millwall, we will go West Ham. Hate West Ham. Can't stand West Ham. When was the last time we played them? You know, donkeys years ago. So and I think that must really wind them up. The fact that they cut those, like, they must look at us and just hate it to see how well we're doing at the minute. They must hate it. <laughs> So I'm interested to get straight in then with the family history there. As you said, you grew up very Definitely. close to the ground. So is it all through like your family, family West Ham fans going way back? This actually started before I was born. Um, my great uncle, well, all, all my family is from the East End originally. And 
Um, so obviously, we, we grew up around the West Ham area. But my great uncle, a guy called Dave Bickles, used to play for West Ham. Mm. Um, played back in the 60s alongside Hurstmore and Peters. Um, he was there for, I think it's four seasons, potentially. So right back to my uncle was a West Ham fan, a West Ham player, then fan. And then obviously all the family were West Ham. And it, I've kind of grown up with it. Um, I, like I said, I was born in Forest Gate. Which is not, which was kind of the local maternity hospital at the time. Um, I then lived uh, virtually around the corner from the grounds. My dad was the manager at the West Ham United Supporters Club where I worked, like growing up, and that's not there anymore now. Um, all of my family, bar one, is a West Ham fan, um, and he's a Man United fan, but we don't talk to him. <laughs> and um, he's one of these, he's one of these Man United fans that have never been to Manchester. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah he's one of those, right? And then even myself, I used to work, I worked over the ground um, in my previous life. I was a chef. So I worked over there as a chef. Um, I've been supporting them since I was born. So you could basically say I, I, I grew up, I was born in the West Ham instantly. Love it. And do you remember your first game at all? And the sort of players who were around when you first got into, into football? I knew you were going to ask this because this is the biggest, me and my dad even try and remember this and we can't fully remember it because I was going... Back in the days, we used to have the reserve games at Upton Park. Right? Back in the days, you could pay 50p to go in and watch the reserve games, right? Oh. That's, how, that's how old I am. Showing me age now, you know? <laughs> and me and my brother used to go over there from when we were way young. My, but we are trying to work out, I think my first professional match was about the early 90s. And it was, Wol- I'm sure it was Wolverhampton. So you're around that sort. So you're looking at early '90s. Maybe someone like Cotty might have still been there. Trevor Morley was there. Ian Bishop, Stuart Slater, Kevin King, Tony Gale, Alvin Martin, uh, George Paris, Ludwig McCloskey. All that that sort of era was probably when I started going to the first team games regularly. Oh, fantastic! I mean, I've actually got quite a memory of that myself because um, although I, I grew up in Berkshire and I'm a I'm a Reading yeah. fan, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before my first ever game was actually uh, a West Ham game um, for the, I believe it was the 92, it was the 92, 93 or 93-94 season. And I was about six years old, I think, five or six years old. And we I went along because my best mate, he grew up in a okay. West Ham family, similar to you. Um, like they they grew up very close there. And, uh, and his granddad was uh, Philippe uh, Cassatari and he owned Cassataris. No, I... I, I I know Dave and Paul. This is our close. I that Casataris. Yeah, was literally across. Wait, you come out of my house. It was about a two minute walk, and mm. I know there was um, Paul and Dave Casatari who used to own Casatari Sports down East Ham. Oh right, <laughs> and, which are connected. And I know um, Paul and Dave Casatari. Um, so yeah, oh, I, I know kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his son took over later on. Philip. Uh, so if Philippe and then Philip, he sort of gave him the more English Phil name <laughs> as his son. Uh, he, he took over afterwards, but um, yeah. So he was he was very popular. You know, of course, that is. Uh, so my mate's granddad, he was running it during the sixties, and he was always kind of well known for um, berating them after games that they lost. You know, they'd come in after yeah. you know a heavy loss, and he'd just berate them all the way through serving them. But I think his real, his real claim to fame has come out in the last couple of years because he is the maker of jam roly-polies that, of course, Harry Redknapp has become so obsessed with. Really? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so what, 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 was that invented there? 
yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was um because he I remember he was there's this big this big thing since he sort of retired, um Nari Redknapp doing sort of adverts for him, mentioning his jam roly polies. And it, he was on um and we didn't know this, by the way. He didn't know this, my mate, till he was on Saturday Kitchen one morning. He was watching, I think it was Saturday Kitchen, uh, hungover one morning. And uh, Harry Redknapp... That's, that's, that's the only time you watch Saturday Kitchen is hungover. Yeah. That's the only time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I watched Saturday Kitchen, I think, for the first time, expecting it to be like live and kicking or something. Do you know what I mean? I just, <laughs> just watched the hairy bikers doing some cooking, waiting for Mr Blobby to run through the door. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> So, but I mean, they're up to do. Yeah, he was watching Saturday Kitchen. So, yeah, so he was watching Saturday Kitchen, and suddenly uh, Harry Redknapp just name drops his granddad, going, "Yeah, you know, because they they sort of yeah. said, oh, oh, you know, you like a good jam, Roddy probably says, yeah, best ones ever had Casataris. Um, used to go there after game. Philip, Philip, his name was used to make them for us, and that's how I got into him. And uh, he, he would do, you know, he would do fry ups for all the team. We're talking, you know, Bobby Moore. Uh, Jeff yeah. Hurst, all that lot. He'd, he'd, you know, see them every day. They'd go in there before games, after games, and all that sort of stuff for training and that. So he was really connected to it. And then his son took over. And around that time, he got into it when he was younger as a West Ham fan, and his family were as well. So one day, me and my dad went along with them, um, got, got tickets for a game. And I remember it was uh, against Coventry City when Dion Dublin was playing for them. And they, I think they lost 1-0 that game. But, I mean, what a memory, though. I'm so glad to say I went to the Berlin ground because for, as a six-year-old, that place in my head will always be like the new camp. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. massive, just just massive in my memory. Um, your, and story's I, better, your, your story's better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask for sort of them early days. Who were the, who were the sort of the... The first couple of seasons where you really got into um, watching football and uh, supporting the team. Well, the bowling ground. I will start with the bowling ground. I think to me that is it was a very unique stadium. Um, uh, like you said, until you've been to see it and experience it when it's rocking, you don't understand it. And I think it was because it was so tight, so compact, so close to the pitch. Um, it generated an amazing atmosphere in the in the grounds and. Um, and I think the thing is as well, it wasn't so much where it was, it was the history surrounding the ground. Like I think people going to the ground, obviously grew up going to the ground from kids, right to adults and taking their kids, the same sight, the same smells, the same sounds. Unfortunately, something we don't have at the minute over the Olympic Stadium, um, or the London Stadium, whatever you want to call it. But I think for me, I, I think I don't go over the London Stadium. I mean, it's nothing major negative, but I think it's, it's not because I don't like the London Stadium, it's just that I... I love the bowling too much, if that makes sense. Like, mm. so I, I miss it. I really, and I think I didn't realise how much I missed it until I went to the London Stadium for the first time. Um, I still feel, I feel lucky that I've always had the opportunity to go there and I grew up there and I, I grew up, I've been in every every stand there and, and it was an amazing place. And I think it's something you'll struggle to replicate over the years because what are these, a lot of these new stadiums being built, maybe in 10, 20, 40, 50 years time, when they've developed their own heritage, these stadiums, you'll you'll get that feeling. But yeah, the bowling was a special, special place. The smell of burgers. This <laughs> is always makes you think of that. Um, I think I my early memories as a West Ham fan. I'm trying to think back to sort of the early players. Like my favorite, one of my favorite players was Trevor Morley, because of the name. Really, it was more just a case of an association. But you know, I can think back to the years of say Trevor Morley, Ian Bishop. Um, growing up, obviously, you've had p- players from Marco Boogers, the crazy Marco Boogers story. Have you ever heard of that one? No, no. You've never heard of the, well, the West Ham fans will know Marco Boogers as basically being a Dutch player. 
that Harry Redknapp bought off a video. The old, he had a video of the guy. He said, yeah, he looks all right. And uh, he brought him over. Done a few, and, he, and, he, and he went do lally in about his second game, went two-footed on Gary Neville. <laughs> got sent off, disappeared, and ended up in a caravan somewhere. He'd run away into a caravan. He was an absolute lunatic player. That would, <laughs> so if you say boogers to a West Ham fan, everyone knows the story. And um, so, yeah, growing up, obviously, I, I had sort of two sides to it. I had the football inside and the work in their side. So I see sort of, obviously, growing up with the players. And I've got one funny story about a player, an old player. I remember work, I, used to, I was a kitchen porter at the time. Hmm. And... If anyone remembers the old main stand, it was a massive long corridor going through it, uh, right down all the way past the executive boxes. But you could see all the way down through like the, the glass. And I was at one end trying to get to the other end. And all I could hear was this bang. And every door that was someone from the gate was bang. And it was getting louder. It was like something out of Jurassic Park. It was just like bang, bang. And I'm thinking, who is it? Frank McAvenny comes through the door. <laughs> absolutely blotto. I'm talking bang, through the door, he comes falling through. He's fallen through every door going through. And I'm just looking at him, he's like, you ain't that kid. Bang, continue walking down past me. Absolutely blotto, right? And I'll never forget that. Um, yeah, so like, so special special memories of the place. I've got, so, I've got so many, like some of the, some of the games, you know, I remember seeing West Ham drawing with Manchester United, preventing them winning the titles and Blackburn winning the league. That was an amazing game. I mean, I've never seen, I think it was Ludo and Steve Potts said, I think the game of their life. And I was right behind the goal that day and the atmosphere there was amazing. Um, you know, other special, like, it sounds really silly, but Carlos Tevez scoring his first goal. West Ham fans remember it was a, the free kick against Tottenham and he turns and he runs to the crowd and he jumps in the crowd. I remember that, you know, there's, there's so many. Um, the last ever game, the last, I think the last ever season there as well, I think every game felt like a cup final, you yeah. know, beating Spurs, beating Man United the last game of the season. It was an unbelievable season. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I feel very lucky to have been, had the opportunity to go to Upton Park and experience it firsthand. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's my sort of major special memories off the top of my head. It's, it's amazing that isn't it because it is one of those grounds that I think will always go down as sort of proper English football history and I, I think when you moved over there was I'm sure some excitement that West Ham were moving up a level it felt that they were certainly aiming to sort of be one of the biggest clubs um, in England and Europe and beyond but I think for general kind of fans of uh, Premier League and well English football in general, there there was a real sadness about it. And I'm sure, of course, there was sadness more so with West Ham. But I think there was no fan of English football who thought, oh, I can't believe I'm never going to be able to get a chance to to go to that ground now. It was it was really it was a it, it was it was sad, I would say. Um and of course yeah. football's got to move on. You know, all teams have done it, all teams have, have at some point had to move ground, and and of course that'll happen to a lot of clubs going forward. But for you personally, what were your feelings when you had that last game of the season and you were moving to the new ground? Were, were you positive about it or were you reluctant? I was reluctant. Um, I'm a bit of an old, I'm a bit old fashioned, I'm a bit old school in that sense. But it was a real, it was a weird dynamic. I think because 
of the what's the word the offer that was put to West Ham fans, it was hard to turn down. You know, I remember we, I think it was like two million pound a year rent. That's it. Mm. That's all we had to pay. And I think maybe a percentage of the merchandising had to go to the London Legacy Company. But that was it. And we were getting this brand new spanking stadium in the you know for two million pound a year. You couldn't turn it down. Um, I was absolutely. I, I think it hit me more. Not so much the last game of the season, but the first game at the London Stadium. Mm. So I think the last game, it just felt like another game there. It just felt like another match. And I, I don't, and, and I realised the sort of, what's the word, the significance of it, but not really until my first ever game at the London Stadium that I was like, oh, oh this don't feel right. This, mm. isn't, this isn't West Ham. This is very generic. I think West Ham did make a complete cock up of it at the start. They really messed it up at the start. They... There was a lot of promises that weren't delivered by West Ham. I think there was, it didn't feel like our ground. There was nothing there to say it was West Ham. It was just another stadium. I think that was a big oversight from the club. I think with regarding seating, now obviously every, I'm sure you have it at Reading, right? You've got areas where you know you've got popular, like the fans that are like the rowdy ones sit at X stadium mm. and the family sit there and this and this. And everyone knew their place at Upton Park. Whereas yeah. what they'd done at the, at the new ground, they just mishmashed everyone together. And they didn't think of that. And it was absolute carnage at first. I think that's what really put a lot of people off the whole situation. So I don't think it really hit me until I got to the London Stadium how much the Upton Park meant to me. And I think that's why I said I struggled to go to London Stadium. <laughs> it, was like a, it was like a morning of loss. It was like a, I should be wearing a black armband every time I go over there or something like that. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I remember one of my first games there, seeing a, seeing a kid there sitting there eating popcorn. Now, I know it's a petty little thing, but I was like, popcorn? It's a bloody football match. What are you eating popcorn for? Yeah. And another and another one, I see, uh, it must be the fellow and his missus, right? They're probably, I feel he's probably been out of Westfield for the day, right? Yeah. And they're coming in with shopping bags and they're having, a, and I thought, where are you? What's this? Where are you? You know, I feel, don't get me wrong, I bet he was roped into it a little bit, right? But, but I think it's well, you've got shoppers, they've probably been out to you know, Nando's, Wagamama's, they've had a nice little meal, they've been out to Westfield, catch a bit. Of it. And I thought, no, 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 this worked for me. I'm sorry, no, mm. no, no. And I think, so, and that's what I really, I can sympathise with your father-in-law a hell of a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one. I mean, but one thing is that the move was, I guess, the ambition move of West Ham to try and be bigger and, um, you know, play at a higher level. Now, there has been a level of success over the last couple of seasons. You've had a couple of sort of relegation battles and things like that, but the season just gone, getting into Europe and going on a European yeah. tour. I mean, that is really... Do you think... Well, first of all, did, did you manage to get to any of the European games or what was your experience of just watching the European games and seeing West Ham back out there again? Uh, well, um, experience of seeing West Ham and European games, I got to go to one. Mm-hmm. I went to... I didn't... I, I tried... I went to Leon. I couldn't get a ticket. I tried for love and money to get a ticket. Couldn't get one. I, I was due to go to actually Salzburg. Um, is it Salzburg? Yeah, Austria, yeah. Is it Salzburg? No, Vienna. Apologies. I don't put it. I reckon mm. it was Vienna. I'm sure it was Vienna we were playing. Yeah, it was Vienna. But it was when the COVID kicked off over in Austria that I couldn't. That they they stopped uh. it all, so I didn't go. Yeah. So I managed to get out to Lyon, and, and it was absolutely amazing experience. It was a little bit of a bucket list tip for me. Because mm. I've always wanted, there's like one of these dreams of always going to see West Ham in Europe. And and so I thought, I said to my dad, like, even if we can't get tickets, I'm going. Um, 
As for the other games, um, funny enough, I did also have one of those dodgy Bulgarian channels that I was watching it on <laughs> throughout the whole thing indoors. The, the wonders of Twitter and finding a good link. So I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> I watched. I watched. I watched them all. I watched all the European games. And I think for us to get to Europe was uh, for a lot of West Ham fans, including myself, like I am going to say a dream come true and a little bit kind of surreal because we're so used to for so many years, either mid-table obscurity, fighting relegation, to actually say, hold on a minute, we finished in the top five in the, in the league. We're now in the Europa League. And not only that, we got to the semi-final. Mm. It, was, it, was a, it was a dream season. Eh? It was an absolute dream for us to get that far. And I think if we'd have just had a little bit more squad depth, a little bit more squad depth, one or two more players, who knows? Who knows what could have happened? You know what I mean? But it's, yeah. it's just amazing at the minute to see West Ham in Europe. It's such a, it's still a novelty. I'm still trying to get used to it. Yeah. 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 Did you start to dream around when you, when you got to that semi-final? I think there was people wondering, because it was, it was challenging this, this Europa League. It was hard one. You had like Barcelona in there. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there was yeah. there was a lot of big teams in there. Once you got to the semi-final against Frankfurt, did you did you start to dream? Did you think, yeah, we can do this? I was I was more it sounds really silly, I was more confident with Leon than I was at Frankfurt because I thought we had the ability to beat Leon. Now I thought to myself, Frankfurt have just beat Barcelona and Barcelona are no match, obviously. So I thought, but this is going to be an absolute, this is going to be the toughest game of the lot, was Frankfurt. I thought if we could score first we'd stand a massive chance. We didn't. So I think, I was. I wouldn't say I was pessimistic. I was I was more confident with us going far with Leon. Because when I see the draw after that, I was a bit like, I don't know, if you know what I mean? But I thought, if, I was excited. Because I thought if we got through this, we'd potentially have Rangers in the final. Mm. You know, the Battle of, Battle of Britain clash would have been absolutely amazing. I yeah. think not just for, for, for West Ham and Rangers fans, but I think for neutrals as well. I think it'd been mm. a brilliant clash. But, it's not as much this season as well, but I think it's give every West Ham fan a sense of optimism for the future. You know, gone. I think it, there's a bit of a mentality shift and an ethos shift over there where we was always thinking, you know, 40 points and we're safe. Now we're thinking, well, we've got the Europa Conference League this year. Well, you know, Leicester got really far. Why can't we go find it? Look what we've done. Mm. There's, this diff- there's a different mindset over there now. Um, especially with, I'd say, more of the younger supporters as well. They're, they're sort of, growing up into this, which is a different world to what I grew up into at West Ham. So who knows what could happen this year, next year. Fingers crossed, it can go far in Europe again. Again, I should say. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to do something we do in the podcast just to show you I've done some research. I hit you with uh, what we call uh, we call what we call uh, emergency facts, where I'll swing a fact right. at you and uh, see, see if you know it. Um Let's see what what did I find? Oh, let me let me get me let me get Google out. Wait there. Here we go. So uh, <laughs> so did did you know? Did you know the the Hammers played the first? Uh, they played the first FA Cup final at Wembley. Yes, was that the White Horse final? Um, that would have that, been no 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 no. Was that Preston? No, Bolton. Bolton lost two 0 but it was the first FA Cup final at Wembley. Ah. Something there. Uh, what else did I find? Um, a couple of these I think you've mentioned, actually. <laughs> uh, what have we got? Um, this, oh, this one I quite liked. Go on. um, Brian Deere holds a record for quickest five goals scored. 
Brian Charles Deere, yeah. who was called Stag by West Ham fans, managed to break one of the club's records by having scored five quickest goals ever. It only took him 20 minutes to achieve this in a game against West Brom back in 1965. Deere's senior career started in the Hammers, where he played from 1962 to 1969. In fact, it's actually the only team he had ever played for, and thus his reputation of a true Hammer. Well, there you know, there you go. That's good. I did not know that. That's the sort of thing my old man would come out of. <laughs> that's, that, that's the sort of thing my old man would come out of in the pub randomly. And we'd go, How do you know that? And he'd just go, Oh, no, don't you? What do you mean you don't know it? I'd be like, No. So I did not know that one. I wonder if that's didn't, weren't West Ham part of one of the teams who had that mad boxing day in the 60s? I wonder if it would might have been in that game. It was like a oh, boxing what, 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 day what, what, in the what, what, 60s what, what, where everyone like won 12 nil or like 42 or things like that. It was like, and I swear West Ham might have won like 12 nil that day or something. Oh, that's a Google because I've never heard it. I know we one of the biggest wins we ever had, I think it was 8 nil, And I think that was against Newcastle. I don't know if that was the same day. But I'll have to... Mad box. I've never heard of that. It was it Boxing Day. Oh, it was in 1963. Was it six? Uh, I've never heard of that. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So Boxing Day, 1963. Well, we're, yeah. West. Oh, right. No, West Ham did play that day, but they lost 8-2. Ah. So there's, that, no. That ah. was against Blackburn. <laughs> so it was, yeah, we was there. We just got spanked, basically. Yeah. So basically there, was, there was this really weird day. It was Boxing Day, 1963. You could tell, obviously, they, had a, they were allowed to have a good drink on Christmas Day back then. Um, yeah, yeah, and there yeah. was just mad scores. So scores such as Chelsea beat Blackpool 5-1, Burnley beat Man United 6-1, Fulham beat Ipswich 10-1, uh, Liverpool beat Stoke 6-1, Nottingham Forest were 3 all. Uh, Tottenham and West Brom were 4 all. Blackburn beat West Ham 8-2, and it was 3 all at Villa and uh, Villa and Wolves. So 66 goals were scored in one day. <laughs> Imagine if we had soccer Saturday then. <laughs> it- it would be going mental, wouldn't it? So, you know, if I had everyone, Stellin, Merson, they'd all be just going loopy, wouldn't they, with a goal? We've got a constant threat of goals. I've never, obviously, I knew about the big game that we had, I knew about the big loss, but I never realised it was on a boxing day. Oh, here you go. I like this one. I like this one. Because, uh, on. as the listeners know, I love every opportunity to bring it back to Reading. Um, the Hammers were the first winners of the FLWC, which sounds really cool, actually, in modern bits. The Football League World Cup, uh, which took place for the first time during World War II. The Hammers played well during the wartime, managed to win the first FLWC ever, winning against Blackburn Rovers in the decisive game. Now, I love this, this tournament, because it took place during World War II, right? And when yeah. we had um, Nathan Caton on, we were talking about uh, Brentford played in this league as well. And there was a, there was even a cup that went with it, well, a World War Cup, which was won a season by Reading. Uh, so we did achieve something. Um, but at one point, what I thought was funny is, is that when we recorded with uh, Nathan Caton, it was in the middle of, of lockdown in 2020, uh, where, yeah. Brent, uh, where Brentford were going to the playoff final. And uh, obviously there were no fans and all that sort of stuff. The fact was that during World War II, while Brentford were competing, their ground got bombed, got flattened. Right. And they went without fans for two games only. Two games all, one caretaker, brush it all away, got them back in for the the next game. (laughs) That's quality. (laughs) That is quality. That is is class. I did actually know that fact. That's ah. the one fact I didn't know. I did know that one. He's always like saying West Ham won the World War Cup, the wartime cup. 
West Ham were the first were the winners of the wartime cup. And actually, the only one I did, I didn't, I didn't remember the exact name of it. Mm. But when you said the wartime cup, I was like, yeah, 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 I know, I knew that saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like you said, back. I love, I love, I love little facts like that. Love little facts like that. No, no, because I've, I've got a fact for you. Oh, go on. Right. Well, I know the. You know, you probably know the answer, right? But I love this question. Who were the last team to win uh, the um, at Highbury and the first team to win at the Emirates against Arsenal? Supposedly it was West Ham. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was West Ham. West Ham. <laughs> That's Love good. It. That's a good fact. I wish I'd had that one, actually. That's a better one. That, well, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about West Ham's uh, campaign in Europe, and you mentioned about the depth of the squad. And I was just wondering, going forward, it does seem, like you said, there's more positivity this season. And for the 2022-2023 season, do you think West Ham have done enough in the summer? And do you think they need to do more as the season progresses? Well, as in regarding um, buying players and recruitment, things like that, yeah? Yeah, making well, sure the squad's ready, basically. At the minute, yes, but we've still got a bit of a way to go yet. Like, um, we've signed a player, and I do, I can't pronounce his name properly. So, like, Agued, Agued, Agued. He's, um, I think he's Moroccan. We signed him from Rennes, left side mm. centre-back. Apparently, an exceptionally good defender. I've never seen him play, but... From what I've heard pre-season, he's been playing decent and he's meant to be a good player. We've signed Ariola on a permanent, uh, which is a great signing. I think 11 million for him is a, a, mm. a good buy. He's a good signing and he's a good... Because I, I reckon Fabianski's probably got one more season in him. And I think he'll be the natural successor to Fabianski, which will be a good successor as well. And we've also signed Flynn Dowds from Swansea. Um a very good midfielder. A bit worryingly, he looks and reminds a lot of players of Declan Rice. Right. Which, you know what I'm thinking, you know, yep. he's going to be the kind of natural successor of Declan Rice. As proposing what what we need, we are desperate for forwards. And I'm talking absolutely desperate for forwards. Um, we, we don't have one. And I think the last, there's a silly fact out there. So I think the last forward we actually had was Aman Brogia who went on to play for Celtic. And we started like, Moyes has never signed a forward. Moyes has never signed a forward for West Ham. And we literally have Mikhail Antonio, who's a makeshift forward. Mm. Um, so we're desperate for desperate, desperate. I'd say if one, if not two. We're linked with, strongly with Brojan from Chelsea. The latest rumour I heard from him is that he's going to come to us on loan for a season with a few to buy. Fine, I'll take it. We link with a lad from Italy called Scamacca. I think it's, it's Scamacca or something like that. He apparently they've accepted the bids for him, forty million pound. It's just getting it over the line. Uh, we're linked with Anana from France. Hmm. Same thing again, solid midfield. What I heard, quality player. And then the the soap opera continues regarding Jesse Lingard. I was about to uh, ask about him. Yeah. It's, it's turned into a bit of a farce, if I'm honest with you, and a bit of a soap mm. opera regarding him. And at first, this is my personal opinion, at first, I'd have bit your hand off for him. Mm. But now, I'm a little bit reluctant to take him. And I think it's purely because, instead of, you know, we helped him out a lot when he was at Man United. So he was in the wilderness, we took him alone for six months, we got him back in the England fray, he had a great six months of us, we were going to take him. May United had offered a silly figure of 40 million, which we knew he would be out of contract this season. So we thought we're not going to pay 40 million now. We could wait a season. But even not coming back to us on loan or anything like that, he sat on the bench for a year at Man United. 
Um, now he's out of contract. Rumour has it he was asking for a ridiculous wage packet. Uh, because obviously he's not getting a transfer fee, he was asking for, I think, on the region of £180,000 a week, yeah. which is totally past West Ham's probably mm. couldn't afford that, you know? So, and now he was kind of fishing around to see who else is interested, which says to me he's more interested in the money than anything else, which I'm a, a little bit reluctant to take him. Mm. Don't get me wrong, he was quality for us, but yeah. it's, it's left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth considering what we've done for him, you know? But as long as we can get certain players, and, uh, and but it's all positive, I think it could really, really benefit us this season. I think you could see a very strong challenge for us this season. But I also think this season, the Premiership, is going to be one of the tightest top six, seven race you're going to see in a very long time. It's going to be a real tight one up there. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I think it's going to be, I think it could be detrimental, actually. I, I think you're absolutely right first of all, there, that it's going to be a big race for the top. Um, I think there's going to be some surprises and I think that's actually going to be detrimental for the World Cup because I think right yeah. in the middle of this chase, we're suddenly just going to stop everything for two months and then take everybody to Dubai and have a summer tournament in the winter. And I think it's just yeah. going to be bizarre. And that that's going to cause, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with injuries, fatigue and things like that. I think the league could be all over the place this season. I, t- I totally agree. Normally around that sort of time, clubs will be sort of trying to gain momentum. You know, people have good Christmases, bad Christmases, whereas in theory, we're going to have like, how long is it? It's a month, isn't it? The mm. World Cup, isn't it? So yeah. we're going to have like, a, in theory, a month's break in the middle of the World Cup, in the middle of the league. And then obviously, you know, the UK is not known for its fantastic weather with the exception of now. You know, you, know, you might have games getting abandoned over the winter period. It's going to throw it all off kilter this year, all off kilter. I don't know how they're going to do it, but as regarding quality challenging for the top six, I think if you look around, this was what last season was West Ham's best season to cement himself as a top five position again. Mm. What with Ten Hag now at uh, May United, I think Conte is going to do an amazing job at Spurs. I think he's a brilliant manager. I think um, Tuchel at Chelsea, they're going to be a lot more, um, what's the word, a lot less drama around them, especially with Abramovich going and things like that. Yeah, you, all, Liverpool are always going to be there. I think Arsenal, I think Arteta's really forming something good there. And then Man City's Man City. So I think it's going to be an amazing top six fight this year. Amazing mm. top six fight. And then you've got sort of slight fringe clubs, people like Wolves. Wolves were not far off. Like, and I like Wolves. I think they're a good side. Um, I don't know, you might get a, a surprise club popping in there. I don't know. But yeah, I think this season's going to be an interesting season, definitely. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about, um, it's, a, it's a player I've always had, um, had a lot of admiration for and uh, it feels like an end of an era. And that was to, to talk about Mark Noble, who obviously, um, <laughs> for the podcast, there is a salute there. There is a, there are tears, everything coming from Trevor now. He needs a minute. <laughs> And I just, talk to me about it. <laughs> now I've got obviously you know you've been a fan for a long time and uh, he, he's been there for such a long time and I just wanted wondered if you could um, share with me some of your memories of of, of having Mark Noble as a, a worthy captain and uh, how you feel now he's gone and it's an end of an era uh, you've said it in a nutshell it's an end of an era I think it's an end, an end of a sort of player you, you, you won't get many players like him again you know coming right through the, the, the ranks of youth player playing for one club team. The only other player you can sort of think of, like someone like Steven Gerrard of that mm. sort of era was like that. 
Um, he was Mr. West Ham. He grew up in Canning Town. Um, I heard, I remember hearing stories of him when he first started playing, getting the bus down to the ground um, as a first team player, which I thought was brilliant. Mm. Um, he has been there through thick and thin. He's been there from the good times and the bad. I think he, once again, I think he was another player that was really overlooked for England. Now, I wouldn't suggest that he is England first in quality over Gerard Lampard or Skulls, not in the question. But compared to some of the other players that got a cap, I think so. surely he's at least worth one friendly, mm. you know. Um, I think, you know, I, I remember seeing him in a great season uh, under Allardyce. I remember because he had Kevin Nolan alongside him. And Kevin Nolan was, he could, his legs were shot, basically. Mm. So he was doing a two-man job for a whole season. I think a lot of players were saying that he should have gone to, he should have got an England call-up, never did. Um, he was also, did you hear about the story about him cleaning the dressing rooms? No. Have you ever heard that? There's a great, when he was West Ham captain, after every away game, he would sweep the dressing room and clean it. Totally clean the dressing room, mm. top to bottom, make sure there's no junk mess like that. He would never leave it a mess. And I think they've handed over the baton to Ben Johnson. Oh, really? They're, they're, they're trying to keep that mould. You know, I heard, you know, behind the scenes, apparently he was amazing. He wasn't just a captain on the pitch. He was like Mr. West Ham, you know, he, I think every time a new player arrived, he would send him a text message personally saying, if you need any anything you need, contact me. Um, and yeah, once I say, it's, I think it's an end of a playing era. You're going to see him back there in some capacity, mm. maybe in some sort of ambassadorial role. I wouldn't be surprised maybe in a year or two's time, potentially something to do with the youth setup, maybe the kids, maybe the women's football. And who knows, 20 years down the line, he could be the next, Billy Bonds managing the club. Mm. You know, you just don't know. But I think the, 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 the title end of an era sums him up in a, in a nutshell, you know. Yeah, because a lot of those stories you mentioned there, they're very old school. There's a nice link there to the old school of, um, well, not just of West Ham, but of football in general, you know, cleaning the um, cleaning, cleaning the changing rooms, uh, making an effort as captain. People sometimes, yeah. I think, these days forget the role of a captain. They'll just whack the armband on anyone and go, oh, I'll listen to him on the pitch. But I think the captain is very important to a club um, and, you know, to, to get in touch with a new player. Uh, and even things like getting the bus, I mean, obviously that would have taken place a, a while ago. But, I mean, there are young players now in their teens who couldn't fathom the idea of getting a bus down to a, even a League Two club. So do, do, do you hope that that kind of ethos, and West Ham are, I suppose, do have a, such an enriched history and there is a lot of, and I can and see today, just talking to yourself, there's a lot of respect for the old school. Do you think that will carry on amongst the players in his absence? I hope so. I think that's the word. I really hope so. I hope, I think what they've done pre-Noble going was they tried sort of nurturing Rice into that role. And I think mm. they wanted Rice to slowly take that role as captain and adopt that sort of old school ethos. And then maybe he might then put that on to Flynn Dowd's coming through. Apparently Ben Johnson's really really adopted it as well as a youth player. And I think that I, that's what I really, I think the word hope, I, I don't think, I, I generally hope now, he, because he's still at the club and he's still involved with the club in some circumstance, that that still stays within the ethos. Like I heard another story as well about him, about Jesse Lingard when he first came there. I think it was so like when they were on the team coach or something, Jesse Lingard sat there with his headphones on. I think this is what, and he turned around and went, take them off. And he was like, what? And he's like, we don't do that here. Mm. put your phone down we talk on the bus we, we don't there's none of this shine away we, we, we're we a team and I just hope all I say is I hope and pray that people like Rice people like maybe the old guard at West Ham at the minute the Ogbonners your Rices um, 
they kind of adopt that mentality and keep it going. All right, Trevor, let's talk a little bit about your stand-up, mate. Um, uh, again, doing my research. Uh, I thought, I mean, you, you, the way... There's not, not, not much to research. Well, you say that, you say that. Uh, let's, let's take a look, little look at this quote, shall we? I thought Trevor had a lovely personality. He was very relaxed and friendly on stage, and the audience warmed to him. His material was sharp and funny, and I think he thoroughly deserved his place in the finals of the Natties. I hope he goes far. By uh, the one and only Joe Brand. Yeah, yeah, that's my best quote. The best quote yeah. we've got from Joe Brand. And, yeah. and of course, you got to the final of that of, of that um, uh, of that competition where you played at the Hackney Empire. Yeah, I um, I was lucky enough. I went to obviously there's kind of a audition slash competition stage beforehand. Sort of where you go there, and there's like the judges there, and you sort of you, you do your set. And I, and I was really lucky enough to to get chosen to do it. And I, I really thought it was kind of a a little bit of a milestone moment in my comedy journey and that, that it felt like I'd got somewhere and I achieved it. Now, um, I do get this a lot. I always get put on first. I think it's because of my style of my, my style of comedy and I, and I got asked to, to open it. And I, and some people, some other comedians might look at that and go, oh, thank God that weren't me. Mm. But I see that as more of an honour, you know, for, to be the first person out on a main showcase like that. That shows a, a trust from... The, not only the organisers that, that I could get off, get the show off and running. And Joe Brown was emceeing that night. She was absolutely diamond, like proper professional. Introduced herself to all the acts. Not a diva. And I even got a callback from her on one of her when she went on after, which I was well chuffed with. Right? Love it. She done a callback. <laughs> she done a callback to one of my jokes. Which I thought was awesome. And she was she, as I come off, she said to me, she went brilliant set. So yeah, that was that's probably one of my highlights of being a comedian, definitely. No, I bet, man. And we met, I think, back in 2017, we first gigged together, which was uh, downstairs at the King's Head. Many, many moons ago. Many, many moons, moons ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. And I was always a big fan, man. I, I really love your staff. I really love, you know, a pro- proper working class sort of comedian. And uh, I, I really admire that. And I um, I, I loved your stuff straight fr- from there. And uh, I've seen you since. I, in fact, I even came to watch you as an audience member at uh, Victoria's... I was waiting for you to bring that up. I was waiting for you to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me and my wife came to watch it. And my wife never goes to stand-up, by the way. She never comes with me to stand-up. She doesn't come to my shows. So she's probably only been to two more of my shows than she has yours now. So really? there you go. Yeah. So we came to see uh, Victoria's <laughs> Festival in uh, Portsmouth. That's right. That was one where you got the stomach bug, wasn't it? That's it. Yeah. Next day, yeah, I got the... the got- uh, I got two Bob sh- bits. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I got the shit the- so bad. Lost about two stone. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Mrs. Enjoy my set. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, good. She always the thing is, so she says is- she doesn't like stand up. Every time we go though, I drag her along. She goes, oh, I, I, I don't like stand up. It's too, it's too like, oh, what if they pick on me? Whatever, whatever. And then, um, like, I'll, I'll go there, and whoever we go and see. Um, we got like a theatre near us. We might we might go and see like a comedian or someone like I think we'll see like a gamble, someone like that. Get in the um get in the audience. And the first thing he says, she's just like <laughs> loudest one in the room <laughs> laughing straight away. So yeah, no, she really enjoyed it. Yeah. And that was that was a, you had a good little audience in as well for that. I was really, I was really pleased with that. The first day there, it was I think it was that you were there the second day, I think. Yeah. First day was okay. The second one, I was I had quite a full tent. I was really, mm. really pleased with it. It was, it was a midday gig and about three o'clock or something like that. And there was a lot of other acts on. There was a lot of music going on. And I thought, oh, I might have one man and his dog here. 
but it was actually quite a full 10 and I was really that was my first I let you know in a secret as well that was my first proper 20 oh really uh, I'd, yeah I'd done a couple sort of open mic in sort of 20s before that but my first proper 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 20 was that but I didn't tell the promoter <laughs> and I was like I was like, I'll give it a go. I sit, can't go any, but can't go bad. And I thought it went all right, actually. So yeah, it was, quite it was great, that. really good. And obviously, the best thing about a festival is, and uh, people who have been to Edinburgh, they'll know this. You can kind of, well, any music festival as well. You can kind of make your own kind of fantasy lineup for the day. You know, see this person first, and this person, and that's very yeah. much what I did that day. So I don't know if you know, but technically, I like to think of um, the person I saw before you that day is the person who opened for you. Uh, and before I saw you that day, before we came over to see you in the comedy tent, we saw Craig David. So, uh, well, mean, what a day. Craig David, Trevor Bickles. Yeah, it's seven days, mate. Check it out. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> Craig David, what, what more do you have to say to that? You know what I mean? I've, I've, I've smashed it, mate. I've smashed it. It's not the Joe Brand quote. I've done it. Yeah, there you go. So it was, uh, I think it was Craig David, <laughs> yourself, and then Rag and Bone Man. What a lineup. <laughs> <laughs> that will never happen again. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if you mind me sort of pushing this out there, but one of the best performances I've ever seen, and these these go out quite a lot, of uh, the Up the Creek um, Blackout Challenge. Yours from, I think it was February 2020. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely loved it. Oh, mate, uh, I don't know what to say. I couldn't expect that. Thank you. <laughs> That's really nice, yeah. By the way, really, really I, do, good. I, am, I am now doing Pro Nights at Up the Creek as well. So check out the website. I think I'm back there next month. So yeah. yeah, I will be up the creek. There you go. Look at that. In two years, you go and do the go and do the uh, the up the creek challenge, and it's no surprise when you if you ever see that clip, it's no surprise that he's now doing pro nights there. And that's a fantastic comedy club to be doing as well. Great stuff. Well, it's, it's been really good to chat to you today, Trevor. But of course, we finished the podcast. Everybody's favourite bit. It's now time for you to pick Trevor Bickles' personal favourites. We don't want the best players of all time. We don't want the legends necessarily. Just five players. In a West Ham five-a-side team, you're the gaffer and you just pick who you want, but they have to be five players that mean something to you. Who you got? Right. We'll go. Um, I did pick a goalie for number one. Good. Ludet, McCl- Ludet McClosco. Right. Now, I'll give you a quick brief on why I do it. I won't be long. Basically, Ludet McClosco was a keeper back in the 90s. He mm. was from the old um, Czechoslovakia and he was he's become a bit of a sort of cult hero legend over there to the point where even now to this day, 20 years down the line, he's still got a song about him and it still gets sung. So to me, it's got to be Ludo in goal. No questions asked. Love it. So I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll go. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah, get it through. Uh, yeah, Colt, Colt, number two, I've mentioned him before. He was my idol growing up, Julian Dix. Yeah. Um, the Terminator, um, one of the h- hardest nails player, one of the hardest penalty takers you'll ever see. There's a, if you ever Google... Um, Julian Dick's penalty against Peter Schmeichel, he wellies it so hard that he almost throws his hand back in the, into the net. And I still think he was one of the best left-backs never to play for England. Mm. It was back in the time where it was more, I hate to say it, unless you were part of the sort of the top three or four big clubs, you weren't getting in England. Yeah. I think if he was playing at the time for any of those clubs, he would have got in their hands down. So definitely Julian Dix. Uh, number three, you said don't name a megastar, but I've got to name this man. Paolo Di Canio. Well, the, yeah, I mean, the, the yeah. legend. <laughs> you, you, you know when people say, right? You know when people say, genius. Like there's a there's a fine line between genius and lunatic. Yeah, right. That is Paolo. Right. On one hand, he is an absolute madman. 
But on the other hand, he is one of the best footballers I think I've seen all together over West Ham. You know, like his technical ability, his passion, his playing style was just out of this world. I mean, absolutely out of this world. So I've definitely got to put Paolo Di Canio in there. Mm. Now, for my fourth one, I had a chat with my brother a day about this because I give I give this question to my brother, right? I want to see his opinion, and he's told me to put this player in, right? So I've, I've Slaven Bilic. Now, right, okay. People seem, people seem to forget that Slav played played for us as well as managed. Yeah, and I think the one of the reasons why I'd love to have him in there because I'd love to ask him, like, not only what it was it like being a player at West Ham, but what happened the whole Payet Sacco saga because he managed all that for a very very turbulent time and I think people seem to forget how much you know how much of a quality player for us and manager and I think I've got to have Super Slav another one with a great song over Super Slav yeah (laughs) and and my final one slight curveball because I think he was one of the best players best forwards we ever had for the club but he got injured young was Dean Ashton Dean Um, Ashton yeah interesting he retired at what 29 I think or something like that didn't he might have even been younger I think it was slightly younger, if I remember rightly, because we signed him from Norwich mm. and he was playing really, really well. Come to us, and he was an absolute beast of a player. Yeah. And, he, you know, Newcastle were really sniffing around him to be like the next Shearer. And some of his goals, and I'll tell you, if you ever, if you ever listen to this, Google Dean Ashton bicycle kick. Mm. And he played in the Mark Noble testimonials. Now, to take into consideration, he's been retired for a couple of years. He played in the, de- the Mark Noble testimonial and the bicycle kick he scored was a worldie. Mm. And I think that just showed that the level of player that he was, even in retirement years, that he was an absolute beast of a player. So I'm going to put in a player that should have gone on far for us, never did, was Dean Ashton. That is a fantastic lineup. Fantastic lineup. Just what we were looking for. I love this part of the podcast. It's always my favourite. Bit. <laughs> uh, and I tell you what, Decanio is quite popular where I am now because I, I, I like you. I moved away as well from my hometown. I, I now live in Swindon, and of course, Decanio's legacy in Swindon as manager is uh, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Whenever I go to, I suppose go with my wife's husband to a um. My wife's husband. I am my wife's husband. <laughs> <When> I, <laughs> my wife. <laughs> it's a very modern. Yeah, but, it's very Swindon, that isn't it? Uh, yeah, my, <laughs> that is very Swindon. Very. So we'll let you off because because it's the hottest day of the yeah. year. That was heat, heat stroke. That's heat what you got. Um, what was I saying? My wife's sister's husband, sort of brother-in-law. He's uh, he's local and he's um, he's uh, Swindon, and I go to a couple of games with him. Uh, like I went to the Man City game in the FA Cup, went to that. And oh, uh, right. whenever you go there, you always overhear someone going, do you know when De Canio did this? Do you know when De Canio, <laughs> subbed, the, you know when De Canio <laughs> subbed the keeper off after 17 minutes? Like, he was a nutter. So, so one of the best things I'll quickly say about De Canio, it wasn't when he was with West Ham or Swindon, it was when he was with Sunderland. Right? Yeah. Do you remember the famous picture of him celebrating when they won? Yeah. And he was on his knees just screaming <laughs> at the Newcastle fans. And it was the most Decanio celebration you've ever seen, right? Absolute bonkers. Uh, oh, there's so many stories of him, like the time that when he was playing Bradford, right? We've, I think we've lost, or we beat him 5-4, I think it was. And he was getting kicked all over the park and he should have had about two or three penalties. And I think the story was that he walked off, he went to walk off. Yeah. Harry Reynolds, yeah. what are you doing? This guy, I'm not playing anymore. I'm not playing. And he's like, get back on the pitch. Like, no, I'm not playing. Yeah. I don't want to play. 
And he's like, he's just a lunatic. But then you'd get him the ball, he'd beat four players and score. Absolute genius mm. for the player. Yeah, I, I remember that incident when he just walked off and just said, I'm not playing anymore until the ball yeah. came near him and then he ran a bit and then he'd stop again. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going home. I've had enough. And it's like, Paolo, get back on the pitch, you mad man. You know what I mean? Absolute legend. Legend, legend, legend. Oh, mate, love it. Absolutely love it. Um, well, thanks very much, mate, for your, uh, your five-a-side team there. And uh, thanks for being a great guest on the podcast. I know we've been trying to get you on for a while, so it's fantastic that we finally got to do this. No, no, no the pleasure has been all mine. Honestly, thank you ever so much for asking me on. I, I genuinely, it really means a lot to me to be asked to come on. So it's because I've seen the lineup of other comedians you've had on, and to be put alongside them is very nice. It's, it's by don't you do your first pro night? You're all the big names. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? It's the same sort of, it's the same sort of feeling. Bless you, mate. That's really. Genuinely, I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's really kind, mate. Thank you. And just quickly, um, for the listeners, where can we find you, social media and all that stuff? Right. So um, social media, it's Big Trev Taxi on TikTok. Um, on Twitter, I'm just Trevor, Bickle, uh, Trevor Bickles Comedy. Um, Facebook, oh, you can have me on Facebook. My name's Trevor Bickles. I, um, I, I will be honest with you, I'm on Instagram as well, Trevor Bickles. Um, and I will be starting to post a lot more of my gigs. Um, just keep an eye out for me. I'm starting to, do a lot more in the bigger clubs, your backyard, top secret comedy. No, not top, sorry, not top secret. Um, the stand up club, um, up the creek. I've recently been to the stand up in Newcastle. So keep an eye out for me and hopefully you'll see me soon. Excellent. As I said, if you see his name on a post near you, go and see him live. Absolutely fantastic act. One more time. Thank you very much, Trevor. Really appreciate it, mate. Great to have you on. Hopefully see you soon as well. Likewise. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Trevor. Um, love that guy. Absolutely love him. Um, do you know why I love Trevor, right? And I first met him about five, six years ago. He probably doesn't even remember this. But uh, we were doing an open mic night in uh, in London. I, I won't say where. It was a long time ago. And everybody on that night was proper pretentious. Do you know what I mean? Proper, proper pretentious. And there was me and him just sat there wanting to talk about football. Do you know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> probably another one of the reasons I ended up doing this podcast is... is, is situations like that but anyway look it's great to have trevor on do go check out his stuff especially his tiktok account uh, which is uh, at big trev's taxi there's some great stuff on there um <laughs> it's yeah really really funny and if you ever see him performing near you go and see him live i've booked him recently for my comedy night and i can't wait to have him on uh, anyway listen until the next episode if you've enjoyed this you could do me a massive massive favor and that is go to apple Podcasts, go to spotify wherever you listen to your, to this podcast and leave us a review i would really really appreciate that or failing that why not just tell one of your mates if you think they'd enjoy the podcast if you enjoyed this one and you're new to the uh, new to the series, then why not look back? We've got some great previous episodes of what, as well. Comedians such as Maisie Adam, uh, Nathan Caton, Mark Holver, the cast of this country, uh, Freddie Quinn. Uh, yeah, some really, really great guests. We've got some great guests coming up as well, including next week where my guest will be Karen Bailey, and she's talking all things West Bromwich Albion. So until then, thanks for joining me for Comedians Talking About Football.
Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.